I'm Dapper Dan Gavazdan, and I own every issue of Amazing Spider-Man, including the annuals, which definitely count. Welcome to the Amazing Spider-Talk, the show where two fans and collectors uncover the strange, fun, and fascinating history of the Spider-Man comic universe. Thanks for joining us for an extra special episode of the Amazing Spider-Talk. If you want to swing along with us on our journey through Spidey's past, present, and future, subscribe to Amazing Spider Talk on your favorite podcast app and leave us a review to help spread the word about our show. As always, this podcast exists because of the support of our Patreon members. If you want to receive early episodes, exclusive artwork, and keep this podcast going, go to AmazingSpiderTalk.com and consider joining our Patreon, where all the episodes of Season 6 are going up several weeks early. We're three deep already, including interviews with some of our favorite Spider-Man creators. Today on the show, you might be thinking, well, where the heck is Mark? Well, he's not here today because I've got something extra special, and that's not to say we're replacing Mark in any way. This isn't a fake out like our 10th anniversary was. No, I've got our video editor, Alex Galucky, on hand. It's his first time on the show, so I hope everybody gives him a warm welcome. Alex had the unique opportunity to visit the Library of Congress to see the original pages that became Amazing Fantasy 15, the origin of Spider-Man. We've talked about these legendary pages many times on the show, but I wanted to talk to Alex about the process of visiting the Library of Congress to see them. But even better, after my talk with Alex, he sits down to interview Sarah Duke, the curator of popular and applied graphic art at the Prints and Photographs Division of the Library of Congress. And she's a curator specifically of these pages of Amazing Fantasy 15. So if you don't want to just hear me and Alex talk about what that's like going there, you're going to talk, you listen to an interview with the very person herself in charge of those pages and their safekeeping. So I think it's going to be really exciting. So without much further ado, welcome to the show, Alex Galucky. You're our video editor, and now you're a member on the air with Amazing Spider Talk. Thanks for having me, Dan. It's great to be here. So I'm really eager to hear about this because, you know, I'm, I live near Washington, D.C. for most of my life, but I've not really engaged with the Library of Congress at all. And, and I know nothing about that process. You know, the only time I've ever really even considered activating it is just to do what you did is to go see these pages. Like, I'm sure there's a ton of really cool stuff in there. I've always been curious about going to see these pages and never really just found the time to really schedule something that far in advance. Can you tell us a little bit about what this process is like, you know, and what it is specifically, if people don't know, that you went to go see there? Like like you, I currently live about an hour and a half away from D.C., depending on traffic. 
like you, I knew the pages were there, so I fi- figured it was inevitable I'd make a pilgrimage to go see them. So what, what I did was I um, I looked into it to see how you could book an appointment uh, to go see, uh, view the pages. And my wife and I decided, you know what? While we're there, might as well just make a tr- whole trip out of it. So we, we booked the appointment. That was the first thing we were going to do. And from there, that's how I got in touch with the curator, Sarah Duke. And while I, I was like talking about what day we're going to do it on, I figured, wait a minute. I work for a Spider-Man podcast now, so I sh- and I'm going to see the curator of the Amazing Fantasy 15 pages. So I figured, why don't I try to get an interview out of this? So it makes it make that a thing. So I pitched the idea to you. You're like, great, let's do it. So <laughs> here we are. I'm not going to say no to an offer like that. I mean, that's very <laughs> little investment on my my part and very big reward, hopefully. You know, an hour and a half is not super far uh, away from D.C., so it's not too much of an endeavor. You know, you're going to see these, like, legendary art pages. How early in advance do they recommend that you book it? And what's the process for booking it like? I mean, do you just go to librarycongress.com or .gov or whatever it is and, and, and apply it? There, walk us through it. If we're someone like you that is interested in seeing these pages, and I think if you're listening to a Spider-Man podcast, chances are pretty high that you'd want to see these original pages. Yeah, so I'm not entirely sure how far in advance they recommend it, but definitely well in advance if you're going to, like, before you, like, book a trip or, and everything like that, if you live far away. Just give them plenty of heads up um, ahead of time. But yes, it is. You can go onto the uh, website. Um, I believe in the Prints and Photographs uh, Division section, there's a um, an Ask a Librarian question you could send, like an email. It sends like an email to them, and then you'll get a response back eventually. Then you from there, whoever you talk to, they'll help solidify what time and day works for you best and give you the, the time you need to see the pages and be exposed to like the history behind it all. Because it's not on display anywhere at the moment. Yeah, I mean that that's beautiful. One that you want, like timed it out right that it's not on display. I, I saw a couple of the pages at the Mo you know Mopop Museum and as part of that you know exhibit on superheroes and been touring the country. And I know the pages have been in and out of that exhibit. Cool that you got to see them all eleven of them in place. Now famously, there's not the cover of the comic there. Tell us a little bit about the details about the pages. Like you're going there to see those 11 pages that make up the Spider-Man section of amazing fantasy 15. Is it, does it include the full magazine there? What is the display like? I mean, are you, you're going in, they're handling it with gloves. You know, how much access are you allowed to this kind of thing? So what they do after you, sign in go through security and all that which that in of itself is a whole production like you have it's like airport security essentially once that's all done uh they take you into this uh, separate room from the prince of photograph section they lock the doors and you're in this room that's filled with like archives it's like a mini like area 51 essentially of like prints all sorts of stuff that i've never seen before uh, near the at one um, area of the room there's this uh section of drawers one by one laid out all 11 pages on on these drawers and they just came in these like giant like manila folders uh they're all um encased in in mylar plastic just seeing them one by being laid out one by one every page of the spider-man story it it was just incredible to see like my my jaw like dropped almost instantly i'm like no way and they do actually have the uh the other uh backup pages as well but i didn't get any pictures of those Great. Well, hey, you guys heard it here first. Mylar, 
good enough for the pages of Amazing Fantasy 15. So good enough for your comics at home. You know, emotional reaction to to these pages being laid out. I mean, uh, I remember seeing, you know, it's like page seven, I think, where he first puts on the Spider-Man costume after wrestling. I saw that on display, you know, in the museum, and, and it just hit me like a, like a wave just seeing this character in his kind of like birth on the page, Peter putting the suit on, trying out the web shooters. Was there a particular moment in this or seeing a particular page where it kind of like hit you emotionally in any way? Probably just seeing the splash page, the opening splash page alone, because I've always loved that page, but just seeing it up close in a different perspective than I've ever seen before. Because I've, I've read that book countless, countless times over the years. To actually see the original artwork on display was just like, like I was a nerdvana basically, and you know <laughs> seeing like you know Stanley and Steve Ditko signatures and the some of the notes that were on the page and like some of the dates as well as like man th- 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 it just sort of hit me like this thing has legit history it is a part of our um, pop culture lexicon but to see the original pages right in front of me it was just so surreal I've, I'll, I'll I'll honestly never forget it. How much time are you allowed in the exhibit? You know, are, are are you allowed to linger over the pages? You know, like I would probably bring like a bit of a spittoon just to to to, to keep them safe. I mean, I, I, I would legit like worry for the safety of these pages with me around them. How long are you allowed in, in that room with them? Is it a kind of like a bit of a like a, a preset ordeal? You got like 15 minutes to go in there and really observe them. I can't really speak to if, it, if there is a specific limit because I... From what I gather, I think because they, I told them that I was part of a Spider-Man podcast, they were like, I will book this entire day for you. Wow. So I was in there for at least like an, an hour, like over an hour, just seeing the pages. And then like the, the interview itself is like not even 20 minutes long. But after that, I was just like soaking it all in. And then we, I, I had a, a off mic chat with Sarah afterwards. And it was just a really, really great experience. I know that you're going to get into a lot of the details of this with Sarah, but it is it is nice to know that Amazing Spider Talk has pull with the Library of Congress <laughs> enough to get you in there for the full day. You you, you probably said you know hey uh, I work for a Spider Man podcast and they're like yeah we know Alex Galucky you're the video editor you know well we're, we're very well aware of it here. Alex thanks thanks for doing all this. I can't wait to hear the interview and learn more about this as, some, as someone who's one been curious about these pages and and their kind of mysterious origins for a long time and two about this process and and how they're being safeguarded um it's just such a cool thing that we have access to these pages as american citizens you know uh, to to have such a, a close you know touch on our culture and the origins of a of a legend like this you know, it, it's almost unthinkable. You know, I hope they get preserved for a long time. And, I, you know, it's, it's cool that anybody gets to go see this. Much less you, Alex, someone I like. <laughs> as long as you're over 16, they will not allow anyone under the age of 16 to see these. Uh, I'll just put a caveat there for everyone's interested. <laughs> you hear that, Gen Z? Get out of here. Anyway, let's get to your interview with Sarah Duke, the curator of popular and applied graphic art at the Prints and Photographs Division of the Library of Congress. Uh, We are here live at the Library of Congress. I'm here with Sarah Duke. Uh, Thank you so much for joining us today, Sarah. Oh, it's my pleasure. 
Uh, why don't you uh, tell the listeners at home a little bit about your role as curator and what that all entails. Sure. I'm the curator of popular and applied graphic art here in the prints and photographs division of the Library of Congress. And I'm in charge of cartoon art, historical prints, so think of courier knives, not fine prints with limited print runs, and then ephemera, think baseball cards and other forms of trading cards. Wonderful. And um, so today I'm here to see the uh, Amazing Fantasy 15 pages, the original Amazing Fantasy 15 pages from Stanley and Steve Ditko. Uh, So Sarah, how did these pages come about? How and when did this happen? So I got an anonymous call in 2008. Did I want the uh, original art for Amazing Fantasy 15? And I could have told you at the time that action number one was Superman and that Detective 27 was Batman, but I could not have told you in 2008 that Amazing Fantasy 15 was Spider-Man. And we accept a lot of comic book illustration art because we don't have a great collection. The library has a fantastic collection of comic strip art and editorial cartoon art and gag cartoons. But for some reason, we never really collected comic book illustrations in mass before 2001. And so I usually just say yes to cold calls. And then I looked it up and my jaw dropped and I had to put it back up where it belonged. And it arrived in 2008 and it's been here since. Um, It's an anonymous gift. And I honor the spirit of the gift by making it accessible to anybody over 16 who gives me enough of a heads up because it is served by appointment only. Yeah, so uh, was there like a specific like a drop-off handoff uh, protocol with the pages that day? Uh, the the donor delivered them in, in person, and wow. that's all I can tell you. Okay, so uh, will this mystery donor ever be revealed at some point? Not by me. Oh, <laughs> fair enough, fair enough. With them showing up like that, what kind of things are done to input pages like this into the Library of Congress? Like, how do you certify the authenticity of, a, of something like this? We usually take it on faith when a donor says they have the original art for something that it's authentic. We do have a research and testing lab that's pretty sophisticated here. And that has been used to authenticate other donations of of cartoon art. There's enough clues. (laughs) So when when a work of art comes in, it gets accessioned. It gets recorded into our database. Um, In my case, I got a letter from Marvel pretty quickly after it became clear we had the art. And it was, when is it going to be scanned? And I'm like, oh, I have so many research appointments. It's not going to be scanned anytime soon. And then that was followed up by a subsequent letter three days later. My paralegal didn't make it clear. We're the Marvel legal team. And I'm like, we would like it scanned. I'm like, it will be scanned. (laughs) And so it was scanned immediately. Almost immediately, people started playing a numbers game about the monetary value of the art. Um, we know about its historic value because everybody wants to see it and have a moment with it. And that mm-hmm. is lovely and fun for us. But as soon as people started playing a numbers game, we made it served by appointment only. And there's lots of security cameras here. And as you right, are aware, yes. as when you came through the door, you're, it's almost <laughs> like airport-like security coming in because you are literally um, at the Library of Congress. Mm-hmm. And we are attached to Congress. We serve them first and the American people second. 
Now, the covers, uh, both the covers by uh, Steve Dicko and Jack Kirby are missing from this collection. Do you suppose they're floating out there somewhere and they'll likely appear at the Library of Congress at some point? The art has been here now for 15 years and several people have intimated to me that they have seen the covers. So I assume one or both covers are out there. Wonderful. That, that would be wonderful if this uh, would get added into the collection. It would be. And I would certainly accept it. I couldn't afford to buy it. <laughs> <laughs> These pages uh, contain several handwritten notes from Stan Lee to Steve Ditko. Uh, what sort of story can you gather from these pages based on these notes? And why do you feel like there's far less notes in like the backup pages of this book? So, you know, the mythos of this is that Spider-Man was a throwaway story in a throwaway issue. Amazing Fantasy was... Um, well, Amazing Adult Fantasy was renamed for this issue to Amazing Fantasy. Mm-hmm. But let's talk about some of the things that we can see. So if you look at the splash um, page, it's 11 Amazing April 62. The 11th issue of Amazing Adult Fantasy came out in April of 62. Does this mean that this was intended for the April 62 issue? I have nobody alive that I can ask. But let's surmise that perhaps it was. And why did it get delayed? I've got nobody I can ask. So it's not a throwaway issue because there are so many inscriptions and it's clear that Stan Lee wanted a fair amount of control. If you look at the notations under three panels on the splash page, the text, the handwriting is very similar to the handwriting in the notations. Did Stan write? like where he wanted text to be placed on the splash pages. There's no, there is writing underneath the other, some of the other panels, but not a lot. Mm -hmm. The first notation we have is Steve, change position of, remove spider, change position of hand. And if you look really carefully and it's much easier to see under magnification, You can see the penciling for the arm. The arm was originally going to extend out. Uh, And my assumption is for the movement of the story, having seen the spider in Peter's hand once, you don't need to see it again at a greater distance. Mm. So the other things I point out are are small details, like the honk-honk was going to go the other way. That's the difference between penciling and inking, but it's a luxury that I get to have that comic book readers don't get to have because I get to see the uh, pencil work under the drawings. This panel is interesting because it obviously happens somewhere between the penciling and the inking stage. Steve, make this a closed sedan, no arms hanging, don't imply wild, reckless driving (sighs) S. And you can see where the roof support is changing, but I don't see where there was an arm hanging out. It's funny that 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 note specifically in a story where a guy gets bit by a red the spider and gets powers, that's the note he wrote. Well, I think he wanted, you know, you've got a fair amount of movement. So what Stan Lee didn't want to apply, that the car was being reckless to Peter, he wanted a sense that Peter was distracted and therefore walked in front of the car. And people love mm-hmm. the fact that he jumps into the speech balloon. You know, I don't think I've ever noticed that. Wow, I'm just noticing that for the first time. That's insane. (laughs) So this uh, logo has been talked about quite a bit with uh, the original 
right. webbed logo underneath it. Uh, how did that come about? How did you guys discover that? The photomechanical overlay is loose. And so being natural, curious people, we lifted it up. <laughs> and you can see on the website, uh, because one day one of my colleagues took a handheld photograph of the um, drawing underneath the logo so that people could see the intricacy of the spider web. Mm. And, and, you know, this is a this is better on two counts. One is it's much easier to read in reduction that busy filigree logo would have just disappeared into, well, a tangled web, right? <laughs> and the second is, is that Stan Lee, in between the time this story was written, no hyphen in Spider-Man, mm-hmm. and the time it got prepared for publication, hyphen in Spider-Man, decided that Spider-Man was too close to Superman and he needed the hyphen in Spider-Man to differentiate the character in a distinguishable and readily visual way. Mm-hmm. Now, have there been any other notable discoveries uh, among the pages uh, over the years? Well, there's always fun little things. that, And everybody who... Not everybody, but a lot of people who come to research bring new insights to me. I didn't grow up reading comic books. I like to think of my mother as having been influenced by Seduction of the Innocent. Uh, they were bad. And I also like to think that I got my revenge. <laughs> because what do I do? I work with comic book art. <laughs> so here's a, another notation. Steve, make this a dark alley. No one can see him. And you can see there's a little pushback. Uh, Steve Ditko didn't redraw the panel. He just kind of mm-hmm. inked it in a way that made it darker. Uh, but it's still chimneys on, on a rooftop. So what I'm hearing is that there's no uh, like map on the back of these pages anywhere. <laughs> there's no map. There's no secret treasure. There's, in fact, um, there's just a censor stamp that's dated March 5th okay. of 1962. And I, I, you are better experts than I. I don't know whether the censor stamped at the inking stage or at the penciling stage. I assume it was done after the inks were done, dry. Mm-hmm. So that these pages went out were done fairly early in the year, considering that an August 1962 publication would have hit the stands in July. Um, other things I point out is this happened after Artie Simic inked the text. Um, this character gets a new thought balloon, and if you look carefully under the text, and we can see it because it's the, the ink has come up through the whiteout, that this character is thinking, is saying out loud what this character was originally going to think. Oh. Oh, interesting. What does it add? I mean, <laughs> it, it, it adds a touch of moving the story forward, giving you a hint that this character is going to play a greater role than just being a random man in the audience. But in most comic books, it would have been made perhaps Stan Lee would have done nothing about it, right? Right. Clearly he has an intention for this story moving forward and he's paying a great great attention to detail. Mm-hmm. So what sort of preservation process is taken in regards to keeping these pages in good condition? So these pages came to us in this condition. They were lovingly cared for. They were stored away from light. They weren't hung on a wall so that they are generally... You know, we say, you know, they they have discoloring that is consistent with age. 60 years have passed. 
61 years have passed since these pages were drawn. And so um, th the fact that they're slightly yellowed is fine. We wouldn't mm. do a bleaching on the paper because that might destroy the graphite and the ink. We've left the residue stains. I'm sure this was scotch tape. I'm sure it says in the comic book, turn to page eight, because we're on page six. There's a page of advertising. And I always loved that. Um, in the few comic books I did get to read when I was growing up, um, like like you weren't didn't read, like you weren't smart enough to know that you could skip the page of advertising right. and read more of the comic. <laughs> I, I love that about comic books. There were some crazy ads in the '60s. <laughs> <laughs> and of course, this is the page everybody loves because this is the page where he dons the costume for the first time. You get to see that he's invented the web shooters, that they're not a natural part of his body. Only a science major could have invented a device like this. And of course, <laughs> as librarians, we book at, we, we nerd out over the fact that he's a bookworm. So in regards to showing this to other people, have you had any memorable experiences with the pages? Like any big names or interesting scenarios that the pages have been used for? So the some of the pages have traveled. Uh, Marvel did a traveling exhibition so one page went to, um, was it Melbourne in Australia? Okay. And one page went to Portland, Oregon, and two pages went to the New York Historical Society for their um, Heroes of Gotham exhibition. And one page uh, was displayed by us, but really, what's really exciting for us is that three, we're going to be doing a Treasures of the Library of Congress exhibition and three of the pages. No, two of the pages will be going into that first rotation, and then I believe three pages will be going into subsequent rotations. And why is that good news? Because this is a research institution, and we do not permit children under 16 uh, to come in and view the art. Uh, there, there's lots of well-behaved children out there, mm -hmm. but there's also a lot of badly behaved children out there, and we can't differentiate. And so... By putting the pages on exhibition, that gives families the opportunity to come and enjoy the art together and to have a moment with the art together. And out of curiosity, when will that exhibition be? Well, it's slated to open in December, but I, the space has not been prepared yet, so I... Soon. 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 <laughs> <laughs> All right. And just uh, one last final question. Uh, what does it mean to you personally that you've preserved a significant piece of Spider-Man art and history? To me personally, well, I, to me, the personal satisfaction I get out of this is the pleasure I get to see in people coming and enjoying the art and having a moment uh, with it, but also learning from it. Um, everybody thinks they know the Spider-Man story, but they know it from a comic book. And for me, the personal satisfaction I get from this art is the fact that it is a dialogue between Stan Lee and Steve Ditko, no matter what both of them said during the course of their lives. Um, it really is a reflection of who they are and who they were at this moment in time. Thank you so much, Sarah, for joining us today. Uh, where can people uh, read any additional uh, works from you? Is there anything you'd like to plug? I write on a variety of topics. So I have things on Philadelphia lithography in the 19th century. And I've written on the White House and editorial cartoons. But uh, 
really just come and do research. Uh, unlike museums, which collect to put art on the walls, we collect for people to come and enjoy and to learn and to research. And so I really do want to encourage people to come and make use of our collections. Uh, we have the Prints and Photographs online catalog, which is loc.gov slash slash. <laughs> we do have the Prints and Photographs online catalog, which is loc gov slash pictures and of the 17.6 million images in the prints and photographs division we've digitized about one and a half million and make them accessible to researchers when they're in the public domain the other thing i say is you are welcome to come and see this art for yourselves do please 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 make an appointment before you make your travel <laughs> plans you want to make sure that we're open and that you're going to have uh, adequate time for your moment with the art. Wonderful. And I hear you're also contributing a bit to the Spider-Man panel-by-panel book that's coming out later this year. Can yes. you tell us a little bit about that? I, so I did write an essay, and it was mostly about the things I talked about today, about how you need to look at original art to understand the process by which people work and how editorial markings really inform the process of creation. And one thing that I always enjoy doing is, you know, so many of the younger generation didn't grow up reading comic books. They, Marvel and Disney have done a great job of making the characters and their stories accessible through motion pictures. But I like making sure that people know that two guys sat down, one of them wrote a story and the other one drew it. Um, that that was how these characters were created. And that's really important. I, I wholeheartedly agree with that. Thank you once again, Sarah. And um, yes, everyone, go buy the book. Visit the pages. <laughs> Make an appointment. All right, thank you once again, Sarah. Sure. Thank you to Sarah Duke for sitting down with Alex. Here I am. Not as special as Sarah Duke, but someone still sitting down with Alex. And I thought, okay, look. We're like 40 minutes into this episode. If you're still listening, you're probably a fan of the show. Alex has joined us, what, like half a year ago, Alex? You've, you've been with us? Yes, it's just over six months now. Alex, like I said earlier, is our video editor. And as such, has become a proper member of the team alongside Mark and, and Rick. And I thought it would be about time on this little bonus episode to inter, you know, to introduce Alex to the community at large, and who, so that me? they know who you are. What's that? I said, "Who me?" Yeah, you. At this point, like you know, if you hang out in the Slack, you probably know Alex. He's a pretty uh, common fixture over in our in our Spider Slack. Alex, why don't you tell everybody a little bit about your history with comics, the character, and and even the show? Like, how did you find us, and what does it mean to be working with us now? You can just go. <laughs> I can't really remember exactly how or when I was exposed to Spider-Man. I mean, I, I just feel like the character has always been a part of my life. And it all stems back to my dad, who was a comic collector as a kid. Uh, and he amassed like a complete, col- almost complete collection of Amazing Spider-Man. I say almost because he unfortunately lost his entire collection to a condo fire uh, before I was even born. Oh, it, was, it wasn't like he was missing the minus one issue, like not that kind of thing? I think by that point, the, the minus one issue didn't even exist yet. So. 
Oh, yeah, yeah. In, in my mind, it still doesn't. But please continue. But then by the time I got to um, 2002, that's when the first Spider-Man movie came out. And then that movie made me a Spidey fan for life. I was hooked. And then from there, I, um, my dad took me and my brother to a comic book store for the first time. And as a kid, I didn't, like, seek out any, like, significant books. I just picked out the books that had all the cool covers. With the very first book being a copy of Amazing Spider-Man number 365, the hologram cover. Mm. Yeah, that, that that whole era, very very alluring uh, as, as a 375 person uh, over here. Uh, but then it was by the time, I, for whatever reason, by the time Spider-Man 3 came around, for whatever reason, that movie made me want to actually read and collect every single Spider-Man book ever. I don't know what it, what it was, but there was Spider-Man fever that, that time, so and it, and it sure. got me. Yeah, there was a lot of hype around that leading into that movie. I think uh, you couldn't help but get caught up in it, even if the movie ultimately disappointed many people. Which is funny, because um, what happened then was my dad went up to his attic, and it turns out, after he lost his collection, my uncles were also uh, collectors of Spider-Man comics as well. After he, my dad lost his collection, um, one of my uncles like, gifted him a few books, one of which being a copy of Amazing Spider-Man number 300. So he pulled out oh. the 300 out of the attic and gave it to me. He was like, wait, this is the first Venom. This is like a huge start to my collection. Look at me go. And it was free. I mean, is it the first Venom? Uh, that, that's another controversy, but uh, that's a very cool story. ASN 300, I think lands in a lot of people's hearts in really in really special ways. And so you've been collecting ever since. I know you recently picked up Amazing Spider-Man number two, which was a big part of your collection. Yeah, that's super cool. How close are you now to finishing that collection that you've been chasing? I'm down to two more issues, issues one and three, which are, of course, the two issues I would need at this point. <laughs> and, then, and then I got Amazing Fantasy 15, but that's a whole other beast. Plus, I've seen the original pages, so... I think I'm right good for right now. You've done it. You've done it. You've, you've <laughs> gone to the original source. I think, uh, unless we have to steal those from the library of Congress, that's a plot of a movie somewhere. So, okay. You're collecting this stuff. How, how did you, uh, I mean, not to get too self-interested here, but like, how did you come upon amazing spider talk? Cause like now you're working for us as our video editor and you're doing an amazing job. And I, do hope that everybody goes and checks out the work that Alex is doing on our YouTube channel. It is criminally underwatched, I would say, uh, but I'm committed to good quality and that's why Alex is a part of the team. So, but how did you discover Amazing Spider Talk and our community? Well, I first discovered the show through Mark's blog um, as I was doing some, I think this is around like 2014, I, I want to say 2014, early 2015 maybe, uh, where I discovered the Chasing Amazing blog. And I was like, I like the way this guy writes. Uh, and then I, that, from there, uh, that's when I discovered he does a podcast. I was like, ooh, I'll check that out. So I've been a, a loyal follower uh, since then. I've been a, a silent follower, mind you. Long time listener, first time, that sort of thing. But I really started to become active in the community maybe once the pandemic hit or it was around that time. That's when I became a patron. And then the, and then the Slack followed, I imagine. Yes. Yes, it did. And um, it was actually the funny story with the Slack was after you guys did the, the first Hobgoblin episode uh, in season five, I was like, wait a minute. What if I joined the Slack? It just showed off the fact that I have the tattoos. So I did. <laughs> <laughs> that was That's the very hysterical. first thing I did in the Slack. <laughs> well, there you go. What an origin story. Well, Alex, I'm so thrilled to have you as part of the team. Tell me a little bit about your like your video editing. Like, what do you what do you hope to get out of this? What do you 
feel like you bring to the table and and you know if if someone's listening to this and either watches your videos like how do you how do you define the Alex Galucky oeuvre? That's a good question, but I would probably say just random spontaneity um, is probably my best method of madness. Essentially, I, I come up with ideas pretty much on the fly, and like I don't really. Sometimes I'll write out notes with ideas of what I want to do with a specific edit, but oftentimes what I uh, find when I'm editing the show or anything in general is I find happy little accidents, as Bob Ross would say, and just go with it. it, uh, it give us, give us an just, example of something small that maybe people missed that you've done, you think added a lot to a particular episode. I, I think it was actually the first episode I did. It was the review of um, Amazing Spider-Man Volume 6, Number 10, the, oh, what was the, the Judgment Day issue with uh with Gwen Stacy you open the show essentially saying like wow what a uh, contrast between one of the worst uh, tie-in issues to one of the best tie-in issues so I thought to myself okay how am I going to display that visually so what I did is I had both covers on display on the screen and then I had the cover of issue 10 kick issue 9 out of the screen it's very quick but I made it just like lift up and just kick the other book out of, the, of existence well, that's why you're the best, Alex. All, all for that. I knew it was a match made in heaven from 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 the first kick. We're so thrilled to have you on the team and also providing us coverage of things like the Library of Congress pages of Amazing Fantasy 15. But I think it's time to wrap it up. If people want to kind of follow you independently of what you're doing on Amazing Spider Talk, where could they do that? Well, you can find me on Twitter. I'm not super active on Twitter. And to be frank, I only really regained um rejoined twitter just because i wanted to be active within the spider-man or amazing spider talk twitter sphere because spider-man twitter is a whole other i don't want to get into that uh but you can follow me there if you want you can also follow me on letterboxd as well i'm pretty active on letterboxd i believe my username is it's lucky time that one wasn't taken it was not taken (laughs) Uh, hard to believe hard to believe well anyway thank you alex Follow him on Letterboxd, follow him on Twitter, and find him in the Slack. And also check him out on our YouTube channel where he's producing all of our videos. But it's that time. Time for all good things to come to an end. So we want to say thank you to you, the listeners and viewers, for turning in to this bonus episode of The Amazing Spider Talk. This podcast exists because of listener support on Patreon. For only $3.99 a month, you can help support our show's existence while getting early episodes, including these reviews that we do and the bonus episodes when the comics come out and when we first edit them, exclusive artwork and a ton of other bonuses. And a thank you to everyone who already supports us and the work that we do. Plus, we want to issue a special thank you and welcome our newest patron, William Heckman. And I will say... The, the Patreon is what fuels someone like Alex coming on board our team and doing the video edits month to month. We are definitely not making money off of this. The videos get hundreds of views, but we're committed to creating a great product for all of our listeners and watchers. And bringing on someone like Alex is part of that and what the Patreon allows us to do. So, Alex, if people wanted to listen to some of our oldest episodes, what could they do? Well... To download our earliest episodes, including interviews with legendary creators like JMD, Tom DeFalco, Ron Friends, Mark Bagley, and many more, subscribe to our Amazing Spider Talk Back Issues podcast on Apple Podcasts. This episode was edited by Rick Coast. Our video version of the show is available on YouTube and was edited by my guest, Alex Galecki. 
Our artwork comes handcrafted by artists Ron Friends, Sal Buscema, Ray Sumzer, Josh Sutton, and Nick Cagnetti. Our theme songs were produced by Ryland Bojack, Tony Thaxton, and Spider Madge, and our animated intro was created and performed by Josh Sutton. So, Alex, until we discover a map on the back of the pages of Amazing Fantasy 15 that leads to Steve Ditko's hidden vault, what's our motto? Well, with great podcasts, there must also come the amazing spider talk. Sweetness, we did it.